Welcome to the Wild Expansion Podcast. This podcast is an invitation for you to dive deep into getting to know yourself a little bit more. This podcast will help you on your journey of feeling more calm, confident and at ease. Learn tips and techniques to help you on your journey of wildly expanding into your most true self. Welcome back to this week's episode where I am joined by that meditation guy, Jimmy, on Instagram. Jimmy teaches anyone how to develop a simple meditation practice that is transformative. We had so much fun recording this chat and we dive into the mystical experiences that sometimes can arise through meditation, how meditation can help us deal with the thoughts in our mind and help us evolve and grow as a person and how to really measure your evolution with your meditation practice. This is a really easy engaging chat and I have no doubt that you will enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. So without further ado, here it is. So hello Jimmy, welcome to the Wild Expansion podcast. Would you mind introducing yourselves to the listeners? Hi there, I'm Jimmy. Um, You might know me as that meditation guy from Instagram and I'm a meditation teacher living down in Brighton. Amazing. So what first brought you into meditation? Well, it was a gradual process. It all started, I would say, back in my 20s when I had some problems with insomnia. So I started looking into meditation purely as a way to cure that, really. I had never, I had no interest in spirituality or anything like that. I just had a big interest in partying a lot and DJing and drinking, and that led me to uh, have some pretty serious problems with insomnia. So although I did hold down a real job and everything, uh, because of what I was up to on the weekends, I did find I was really struggling with sleep. And so it's just one of those things that I kept coming across when I was reading and Googling for um, a solution to try and help me sleep. And it took a while because it all started with, you know, um, ordering these how to sleep meditation CDs (laughs) online. And then it graduated to, you know, trying some videos and some other things. And eventually I booked myself onto an actual eight week meditation course called mindfulness based stress reduction. And that was really useful, but it didn't cure the insomnia problem. So it just gave me some tools to understand my mind better and some tools to help me work with my mind to cure anxiety, not cure, but deal with anxiety and deal with stress. But the, the insomnia problem was still there. So I went looking for a different style of meditation then um, just to see what else was out there because I was completely sold on the concept at this point. It just hadn't quite given me the outcome I was looking for. And so then I came across something called Vedic meditation. And it was that one which cured the insomnia and I've been doing it ever since, and now I'm a teacher of it. Wow, yeah, because I think a lot of people really struggle with insomnia, so that's really cool that you find something that works, you know, for you for insomnia. Well, yeah, because before that, I mean, I was 
you, I was drinking every night to try and get myself to sleep. And of course, you know, that leads you to feeling groggy. It's just a never ending cycle. I have also experienced bouts of depression around those, those early years of when I was on this search to find something. So it really was just this huge revelation. Once I eventually found the practice that was right for me, it's, it changed everything over literally four days. It was a four day course. Um, and I've never looked back since really like my insomnia was cured, but also like the alcohol thing. I still have the like occasional glass of wine or drink here and there, but I, I was drinking like at least a bottle of red wine every night and that pretty much stopped completely. Oh. So yeah, it was, it was a big change for me. That's so nice that you're sharing that because there's so many people who probably are thinking, you know, I can't change my position right now. It's easy for some, whereas you literally had a death and rebirth. It was, it was so weird because I actually had alcohol in the fridge when I went and did this course and then I came back and normally I would never have uh, like cans of beer or wine in the house because it would just go that night and it was there like months later and I remember standing at the fridge door looking at it thinking god these cans of red stripe have been in here for months how have I not had them yet like something huge has changed <sighs> so it, yeah it was it was something that I just couldn't stop talking about and that's what led me to end up teaching it in the end. That's incredible. So what is so um, significant about Vedic meditation? Okay, so... ...scientific meditation. You could bring up four practices that mostly come up when you're looking at it um, in scientific journals and things like that. And I'm only going to talk about it in this frame because if I talked about all the styles of meditation, we'd be here all day. So I'll just give you four that mostly come up, the very common ones. So there's focused attention, what you typically get on an app where you're concentrating on the breathing mm -hmm. and um, that trains your concentration. There's another one called uh, open monitoring, where you just rest in open awareness and then you see what comes up. Maybe it's the thoughts, sensations, moods, emotions, uh, mental talk, whatever it is, and you just... Be aware of it non-judgmentally. So you're allowing things to come and go. Um, the third type we could say is loving kindness, where you're actively generating thoughts of love and friendliness and compassion for yourself and others. It's quite widely studied. And then the last one, which I'm teaching, would come under the category of automatic self-transcending, where we're using a Sanskrit mantra in a very specific way in order to essentially lose our sense of self for a short time. And the benefits of doing that is it's a bit like um, closing all the tabs and shutting down your computer. And then when you bring it back online, you're refreshed and renewed, full of energy, full of creativity and bringing back some of that bliss and happiness that dwells there when you go inward, connect to that and come back out. So those are the, the four main styles of meditation you'll find if you go looking scientifically, which I did because I was very much in that mindset when I got into this. Um, but of course, there were loads and loads of other types outside of that as well. And how often would you try and practice your type of meditation a day and for how long? So for everyone who learns with me, I say try and do 20 minutes in the morning after you wake up, but before breakfast, because you don't want to meditate on a full stomach. And then also 20 minutes in the afternoon or evening. 
So anytime after lunch is digested, if you can get another 15, 20 minutes in, that will be enough to trigger a biological reaction, which will clear out some stress hormones and introduce some new happy hormones into the bloodstream. And that will give you a big boost going forward for the rest of the day. That will increase your energy, your creativity, your drive. And it will just also calm the mind, calm the body, give you some confidence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people tend to find that works because that that's, can, can easily fit into a busy life. 20 minutes, twice a day. Yeah. Something I'm struggling with right now is that like I used to spend my energy thinking about unhelpful things, but now I've realized that I love cleaning and I think I'm getting a wee bit obsessed that I'm constantly thinking about what drawers I need to clean. <laughs> you know? So you ever feel like you're never on top of everything, like there's always stuff to do. Does that meditation help with like, you know, feeling just at ease with what is instead of always thinking I need to do X, Y, Z? But yeah, you've said it quite nicely there, being at ease with what is, because some people come to this thinking, oh, I'd love to just have a meditation where I have no thoughts and I could just live in this blank void for a while and I'll take a little holiday from it all. And then when they actually learn to meditate, they realize that that's not common. You may have small periods of that. You may be lucky and be one of the people who do dip into that void. But for most people, you're going to have a lot of thoughts and in meditation, we just learn to deal with those thoughts. We kind of tune them out in a sense. So I can have meditations sometimes which are very quiet and blissful, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But often they're the opposite. There's lots of thoughts going on. But it doesn't really bother me anymore because I've just learned to kind of tune them out, almost like a radio that's playing in the background while you're doing something else and you just don't notice it. So that's huge for people who deal with intrusive thoughts and anxiety and things like that, because you have this revelation that I don't have to listen to that internal voice and I don't have to deal with those. I don't have to believe any of those thoughts that come up. So it can take a while. It's not like a quick fix, but just sitting there every single day and not getting wrapped up in the stories that the mind creates about the thoughts that arise and the sensations and emotions that arise in the body. Um, you may not notice it, but suddenly at some point you'll become aware, oh, I'm not having those intrusive thoughts that I used to, or I'm not as wrapped up in all that drama like I used to be. So it happens slowly and naturally. Do you ever have like a thought, an old thought from the past that sometimes creeps in and you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's like the old version of me. <laughs> and then it just gives it no energy. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it tends to be when you're stressed. So if, if something happens that makes me really super stressed, like for example, we moved house six months ago and the process of buying a house and moving house and all the uh, legalities that went with it and all the rest of it, that was like super stressful. And I noticed some of my old patterns creeping in, old unconscious patterns creeping in and different old reactions. And it really gave me a wake up because I had kind of got it into my head that I was beyond all that now. But going through that process really reminded me, no, 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 there's still an enormous amount of work still to be done. But what was nice was I didn't get stuck in thinking, feeling guilty about my reactions because I'm completely aware that those reactions were the most natural, the only thing that could have happened based on my physiology and my psyche as it is right now and where I am right now. So 
they happened, but I just let it go. There wasn't, didn't get stuck in it, didn't worry about it. And there's no bad feeling about it. And it's just a little, little pointer, like you say, to see what has to be worked on. Yeah. I think that's so lovely that you have compassion to allow yourself to feel all emotions that are arising. Because I think often we can be so hard on ourselves, like, oh, I shouldn't have this thought, but instead, no, it's okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> you, yeah, you can absolutely let yourself off once you realize you have no control over the thoughts. And meditation really, really holds that up right in front of your face and shows you how out of control you really are. Because as we go about our day, we tend to have this feeling like, oh, I'm picking my thoughts and I'm listening when I'm actively listening to this and I'm actively saying this and I'm actively doing this. Suddenly in meditation, you realize that rather than you being in control, that information is just pouring in through the senses and your mind is making sense of it as you go through. And that's why you constantly do these things. And then later you think, why did I do that? What was I doing? It's because everything's rushing at you so quickly as you move through life that you're doing your best, but you're often you're doing the only thing that's available based on your past conditioning and the way that your mind is currently operating. Yeah. So as you're saying, like loads of information is getting towards us all the time now, more than ever. Would you be conscious of like how much time you would spend on technology or social media? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a difficult one. I've tried to implement a thing for me and my fiance where I go and hide our phones at 7.30 in the evening. <laughs> and then I put them downstairs so that we have a whole night without them and then uh, after breakfast, pick them up again. So there's a big break there. But generally speaking, because I'm using that as the platform to talk about meditation and to put things out there, I do have to be on it a lot. And I do notice that it has a negative effect, especially with the invention of reels, because everybody's following trends. You hear the same music over and over and over and over again. It gets stuck in your mind. You go to meditate and you've got whatever it is playing around and it's like, oh, not this again. So it's a, it is, does actually make everything harder. If you go on a silent meditation retreat, you'd be quite surprised to find out that your mind doesn't even calm down really until about day three. So in your normal everyday life, just meditating 20 minutes here and there, you're not going to get that much silence if you are somebody who's plugged into the internet and into social media and TV and films and, you know, has a busy life. So you have to learn to be at peace with the non-peace sometimes. You have to accept the fact the mind is messy. And quite often from that, the mind can then find a peace within that mess, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's mad too, isn't it, how like the same thoughts repeat themselves? Like I did a 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat and I had the same thought all the time for the first like five days. Same for me, yeah, I, I did that course as well. It's intense, isn't it, right? Oh, it's one of the toughest things ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that as well. I just thought, oh my God, it's a broken record going round and round and round. Yeah. Um, but very transformational. So the difference between that and what I'm teaching is that is more like a kind of mental surgery. You know what I mean? You'll really, really, really transform the mind. Whereas the style of meditation that I'm teaching, I'm saying, okay, what I'm going to do is help you to set up the right circumstances so that your mind naturally falls into the quiet place. 
um, rather than training you to do any kind of concentration or any observation of what's happening. I'm going to train you to fall into that quiet place using a, a Sanskrit mantra. So they're, all of these styles have their place, but they, um, they tend to bring different results. Yeah. I really like the idea of yours, um, especially reaching that state. It sounds really nice. Oh yeah, yeah. I, everyone seems to, one of the reasons it seems to stick is because people find it enjoyable. So you don't have to use as much willpower, maybe in the early days, and especially if you've got some recurring uh, thought patterns. But for most people, they say, I'm sticking with it just because it feels nice. <laughs> and what are some of like the results you're getting from people who are doing the course? Okay, so some specifics, okay. I had somebody recently who learned whose wife was pregnant while he was taking the course and she was due about the time while he was going through the course and she gave birth the day after it finished and he kept messaging me from the hospital and from home and stuff saying oh my god I'm so glad I learned this meditation because we're of course we're completely exhausted and everything's up in the air and everything's crazy but I'm so calm and I'm so rested and I'm so present because when you have to take your your rest on demand when the baby's sleeping you might not for some people you might not be able to just turn on the sleep but if you can meditate you can get the deep rest on demand and then when the baby wakes up you just come out of the meditation and you go and be with it so he was really really over overjoyed to have got this meditation right at the perfect moment where he could feel in such a great place to experience that moment in his life Wow. Um, so that was quite moving to get that story. But lots of other people do the course and they say it's helping with things like depression and anxiety and OCD because it's just giving them a small period of time where they can take a little break from it all, go inward, um, connect to something deeper and then come out refreshed, you know, kind of like the, the reboot for a computer kind of thing that I was said earlier. Yeah. So it helps everybody in different ways. What I've noticed is that most people come to this because they have a specific problem they want to fix, like I did with the insomnia. And then if they get that problem fixed, then they carry on doing it because it feels nice or because of some other reason. This is where the spiritual side kind of creeped in for me because I suddenly realized that I was having this experience of just feeling different about everything, just feeling more connected to everything. And just appreciating things in a way that I never would. I'd be like just sitting, you know, on a bench by the side of the road, just looking at the clouds thinking, I never used to do this. I never used to be so like drawn into all the beauty of the world. And that's what emerged naturally over probably let's say six months, a year, that that's something that creeped up on me. And I thought this has to be the meditation. That's the, it's gotta be that which is creating this big shift that, is so difficult to put into words. Yeah. And they're saying like there is no suffering in the present moment. And then whenever you're fully in that present moment from meditation, you know, you're not suffering. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Yeah, that you can, usually the suffering is coming from a projecting into a future where something bad's going to happen. And if you can see the truth of that, that your mind's just creating a future virtual reality, then you can, um, you can certainly take some solace in that moment. But it's complicated though. I mean, sometimes 
people are going through extreme situations which can be very very painful and then sometimes it can help to just be with that pain without trying to push it away um and suddenly when you stop trying to reject the pain and suffering and just allow it as it is that can also take you to a place of peace as well yeah like not resist it anymore just like fully accept yeah, yeah. I, there's something in the mindfulness-based um, stress reduction course that I did that taught me that quite nicely, actually. Suffering is caused by the fact of trying to push away the thing that's actually happening. And if you just accept it fully and face it and go into it, you'll actually realize it, that most of the problem was the story created by the mind rather than the actual problem. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. On the Vipassana course, I don't know about you, but I started to have enormous amounts of pain in my legs. and um i remember starting to get stuck in this mental storyline of oh what if i'm damaging my legs what if after this course i end up telling people oh yeah i can't go to the gym anymore i damaged my knees too badly on this meditation course and you know maybe i shouldn't be doing this maybe i should go and maybe i should leave this course you know because i can handle it me mentally but what if i'm damaging my knees <laughs> and you know and then when i was meditating I'd get the pain would come up and all of these thoughts would come up and then I'd be thinking, oh, but I don't want to move because we're supposed to be completely still and I do want to do it right and the pain so much. And then at some point I put my attention on the pain and just left it there. And then what I realized was that the pain wasn't really pain. It was just a combination of different things, pressure, heat and tingling mostly were the only sensations that was sending a message to my brain to say pain pain run away but if i ignored that then it was just those three sensations and the storyline kind of drifted away i could stay with that those sensations without any major issue i realized actually that no damage was going to happen at this point it just seemed clear that <laughs> of all the hundreds and thousands of people that have been through this all over the years every one of them is fine with the knees and all of that floated away and then weirdly, because I'd kept my attention on that so-called pain for so long, that's what took me into the first uh, jhanas, which are like heightened states of consciousness, which I don't know, you may or may not have experienced, but it was actually because it's such an easy thing to focus on, it took me into a deep state of absorption. And um, weirdly, the pain, the, the thing that I was so desperate to get rid of turned into um, the most euphoric experience of the whole Vipassana for me. Um, so it was very strange. And then after that, for the next however many days it was, I never thought about the knee pain again. It was all largely just in my mind and I just needed to go into it and experience it fully to realize it, that it was just a story and it was no big deal after all. That's it. Like, even with your life going through, you know, anxiety and depression, you have to go through the pain to get to where you want to be. And the same with me, my story, you know, I also had a bit of anxiety and depression and I needed to hit that rock bottom in order to, to find peace now. It's so true. You wouldn't be doing this, would you, right? If you hadn't gone through that. So. That's it. Funny, my Vipassana meditation, so for my first few days, I had the same reoccurring thought, very painful thought, well-known resentment. And then one day I just decided to drop it. I was like, this is useless. This is on repeat. It's getting me nowhere. And one of the most amazing experiences of the retreat for me is 
I was just looking at the ground after lunch, sipping my tea, just watching. It must have been like a swarm of hundreds of ants, just like all move in a line, like carrying bits of wood. And I just was in awe, just watching. (laughs) (laughs) It was incredible. And usually I'm so in my head that I wouldn't witness that. Well, yeah, this is what one thing that I love about teaching meditation because I get a similar thing from my students. I do a weekly, every other week, I do a group meditation where people come along, ask a few questions, and then we meditate together. Real short drop-in thing. But on the last one, somebody said, um, said, you know, I used to be always with my friends. We'd always be like chatting and talking and it'd be really like 100 miles an hour. And now when I go meet them, I'm always kind of like, everybody just like slow down. Look at that tree over there. Can you, you ever seen anything like that? Oh, wow. Look at these waves because you know living in Brighton. And uh, he said, have you got any tips for how to like calm my friends down? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. That's the only thing you can do is point out the different things that you're noticing. But the fact that he'd, he was tuning into those things in the same way that, you know, you just explained was so nice to hear because it just shows that like once people are switched on to this once your nervous system is calm and once your mind is calm the world just comes alive in a way that it never was before are you in a, the same as me and that like you used to have all these big goals of what you want to achieve but the more you do like this meditation and inner work the less goals you want to achieve you're just happy just being present so true that yeah so it's not that i don't have goals and ambitions and stuff it's just that I'm not basing my happiness on whether they get achieved or not I'm perfectly happy regardless of what happens provided you know my basic needs are met and I'm able to look after the people close to me Um, but I don't really have any happiness tied to status or achieving some grand uh, financial goal like I used to years ago. I used to be into all that manifesting and mood boards and had a big mansion stuck on there and a Ferrari. (laughs) And now I'm just happy to be doing what I love. And as long as my basic needs are taken care of and we can enjoy our life, that's more than enough for me. Yeah. So I I would say we're very similar in that respect. Yeah. Would you believe in the law of attraction? Uh, yes, in that, I mean, it just seems obvious that it would work if you focus your mind on a specific goal, then you're always going to be very, very aware of things that come up in that will push you in the direction of that goal. So it seems that it could work, even if you take out the kind of supernatural element, it does kind of work in that sense. But also, one thing I've noticed with meditation is that synchronicities do seem to be a reality. I can't deny my experience of those things which are completely beyond coincidence. So, story. <laughs> so it could also be working on another level as well, absolutely. But I just couldn't really speak to being exactly sure of how the mechanics of all that side of it works. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's so like mystical and mysterious, but I feel like there definitely is something bigger at play. Yeah, I mean, I could give you some stories. I'll give you one quickly. Very strange thing that happened to me. Now, some of these synchronicities to me seem so odd because they don't really push me in any particular direction. They're just strange. So I'll give you an example of one. I went to my parents' house. This was a couple of years back. 
and they have a big uh, bookcase and some of my old books from school are on it and um, I picked out an old play that I remember reading back when I was at school probably 16 years old and I flicked through the pages and landed on a page where one of the characters in the play says in a really aggressive angry <laughs> angry voice where's my cheese roll right and this became a bit of a joke between me and my friends in the class like you know it I'd walk up to my friend and behind and go like where's my cheese roll it just became like a silly thing right and um and I laughed about it to myself and I thought oh that's funny and then I put the book back I didn't think anything of it and I went out that night woke up in the morning and I looked at my phone and an old friend from school who I speak to a couple of times a year who lives in Australia had sent me a message that said where's my cheese roll right and a photo taken uh, of the newspaper that had an advert for a play in it which turned out not to be this play it just he'd seen it and immediately thought of that moment and he'd mistaken what he'd seen for the thing I'd looked at <laughs> and so I was like that is so unbelievably weird um that I, I couldn't possibly say like why he tuned into that in that moment so so a lot of people in the meditation world might say well if consciousness is a field and we're all sharing that same field then it isn't really that strange that we would sometimes tune into each other's uh, fields because scientifically speaking we can't explain consciousness and we certainly can't say it's generated by the brain there's no point in the brain any part we can point to and say well this bit creates the consciousness so it really is a huge mystery and a lot of people are now coming around to the idea that consciousness could well be a fundamental aspect of the universe that we're all just tuning into so these things make perfect sense in that context yeah and we're all like tuning in like, like a radio channels to different frequencies <laughs> yeah exactly that exactly that you, if you open the radio you don't find the announcer you don't find the voice in the box, do you? Yeah. So, and it's like as well. Whenever you're thinking of someone and they just text you or ring you, it's like wow. Yeah. So those things would all make perfect sense if that if that was the case. If we somehow were able to prove that, um, and certainly lots of people are working on it. But at the same time, I also find there's something quite enjoyable about the fact that it is a mystery, and we're all um, having to just live with that. <laughs> yeah. I like how you are a balance between the scientific and the creative part of your brain, like, you know, not having to figure out everything logically. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, originally I really wanted to know. And in fact, my thoughts when I first got into meditation was that science knows everything and science has the answers. And if it doesn't, it basically is on the way there. And so when I got into all this and then I started having these odd spiritual experiences, which didn't make any sense to me. And then I tried to look into them scientifically and there was just nothing there scientifically that could explain it. Yeah. But then in these old ancient texts like the Vedas and old Buddhist texts, I realized they've been talking about this stuff for thousands of years. And it's like, oh, okay. So somewhere in an ashram had this experience that I just had the other day. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I should be listening to some of this stuff then because clearly they, they've had some insights that I can be open to. And so, I then started to become very, very open to the fact that in Eastern spirituality, they've not just, they've not been using so much faith like I was brought up with. It's very much a case of here's some guidelines of the, how we see reality working and how we think the mind and consciousness works. 
but here are the practices you can go and take them away and try them yourself and do the experiment and see what happens and that approach really speaks to me uh, in the world of spirituality yeah yeah especially if it's lasted this long through generations there must be something to it and yeah and if you go on a meditation retreat and you speak to people or with me teaching people i've got so used to people having mystical experiences now that it's the most normal thing in the world if i teach a group of 20 people and one of them says something like oh i was meditating and suddenly i felt this entity come into my uh, awareness and be watching me and every time i meditate i feel like there's this kind of entity close to me that's not scary but also just just there and always looking the same and they can describe it perfectly and i just think I wouldn't have believed this 10 years ago. I would have just said, ah, it's a figment of your imagination. But because there are so many things coming up that I can't explain, I can just say, all, all I can say for sure is that consciousness itself is a vast unexplored landscape. And it's just so fun and exciting to be um, working in a way that I get to explore this with other people through meditation and teaching, yeah. Yeah, that was so cool, that work you're doing. It's so powerful. and happen to many people it is yeah it's so fun yeah <laughs> do you think that like the people in your life come into it at a certain moment that they're meant to come in and then they can go on a journey with you to help you know heal and evolve consciously like for instance my current partner I'm so grateful he met me whenever I've started this path because I wouldn't have wanted him to see me years ago because I just know I wasn't as good of a person you know and I wouldn't mm. have well enough. I know what you mean, yeah. I kind of think that you'll, you'll always attract the people um, based on your state of consciousness and where you are in your life. You'll tend to attract people in who are on the same wavelength. And similarly, you'll push people away or repel people who aren't in the same place as you. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think in my experience, that's kind of how it works. But also what's good in my experience is that if you're especially in your intimate relationship you'll find that certain things about that person really trigger you and rub you up the wrong way and certain things about you will do the same for them and so working through that in a conscious way will really <laughs> it's difficult it's probably the hardest of all the work but also that will be probably the biggest thing for expanding consciousness as well because if you want to become conscious of yourself and your blind spots and your shadows an intimate relationship will point those out to you pretty quickly <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> every like shadow came up for me like everything that you know even from childhood and throughout your whole life and then the best thing was just to communicate it yeah and like just realize like this is my shadow what's it showing me what do i need to heal here what, how can i help this <laughs> yeah. so true well that's it suddenly from being single for quite a while like i've really healed so much that i'm working on a different level now and then a relationship suddenly shines a light on all those things that you were missing and so it's like oh okay i'm certainly a long way off where i thought i was yeah. um, but it's all good you know it's these the, the journey that you take with all of this i don't think ever really ends i think yeah. you keep going and going and going right till till you take your last breaths and if you live in the east if you're part of uh, believe in eastern spirituality you would <laughs> then say it carries on in the next life although i couldn't speak to that i've never had any past life memories 
yeah either have I but I have heard stories so you know that's another thing that comes up um quite typically with meditation is people say oh I was meditating and then I suddenly had this vision that I was this young boy in like I don't know Brazil or something and then they'll recount something in such incredible detail that you'll think well if you were making that up where would your brain get that content from like if that was a figment of your imagination where would that come from um so it's something i'm really interested in and i find bizarre but at the same time i struggle with the idea that a part of me would go on into another life because um as far as i can tell most of what is on the surface here that makes the sort of jimminess (laughs) is kind of illusory anyway it's all largely my conditioning and my genetics and various other things so my theory on this is from somebody else actually who I spoke to a a guy who'd been meditating about 50 years and had had a a lot of thoughts about this because he'd had it come up himself he told me well he thinks like we were saying earlier consciousness is a field and so his past life memories are not actually him living another life but just him in that moment, seeing a past life through the eyes of somebody else, because it was recorded in this field of consciousness, and he identified with it thinking, oh, this is my past life, like watching a movie and thinking, oh, I'm the character in the movie. (laughs) That is so interesting. So yeah, I couldn't say whether any of that's true, but it's certainly fun to think about. Yeah, and it is fascinating. Whenever I think of like, you know, respecting and giving thanks to my ancestors, I sort of feel this like support or something or feel a shift. It's unexplainable, but. I very much like that idea, yeah, of tuning into all of the people that came before down your ancestral line that have brought you into being now in this moment. Because you are, yeah, like a jigsaw made up of all those people who came before and all of their experiences right down the line yeah it's it's really incredible to spend some time thinking about that yeah it's just so lovely to talk to jimmy because you know right now there's so much can be scary stuff on the news so it's lovely to see that people are interested in you know expanding their consciousness healing and being light in this world yeah yeah you know i've really enjoyed this chat actually it's nice it's nice to chat with somebody who, who gets it completely yeah are you feeling hopeful about the future Absolutely. Yeah. Because, well, the way I see myself and all of the rest of us is that we're, we're just nature doing what nature does. So in the same way, those ants at your Vipassana course were picking up all their little bits and bobs and carrying them to wherever they were doing it. The whole of humanity is doing the same thing. There are some aspects of us which are doing things which seem positive and ethical and good. There are some aspects of humanity which are doing things which seem negative in the same way that one person has different parts to their psyche shadow sides and good sides the whole of humanity is that same thing collectively playing out so whatever's going to happen is going to happen and i'm just so happy to be a part of it in this moment going through it in this body with this mind on this particular journey but I don't really tend to worry too much about about where it's going because as long as I'm playing my role and I'm tuning into the good that I can do every day that works for me, what would be called Dharma in the Eastern way of thinking, as long as I'm fulfilling my role on a, on a daily basis as best as I can, then 
I feel quite good about what I'm putting out into the world and I'm not going to worry about all of the things that are too far out of my control. What advice would you give for someone listening who's thinking, well, how do I fulfill my role today in this world? Mm, that's a good, good point. I think um, most people who get into manifesting tend to try and manifest the things that they've been conditioned to believe they want a mansion, car, swimming pool, or whatever the things is. Often, if you're younger, you might think like that, you know. In Eastern spirituality, where this idea came from originally, they have this idea of something called Sankalpa. Rather than thinking, I want these things and I'm going to manifest them, it's tuning into what the deepest part of you really wants and then following that. So it's almost like you're not, deciding and going after what you want based on what society is telling you but you're tuning into that quiet little voice inside that's saying i think this will be charming if you move in this direction or this will make you happy if you move in this direction and then you just follow that in an intuitive way and things will start to come together like we were saying before about synchronicities and um things people coming into your life that push you in the right way funnily enough the meditation teacher who popularized the style of meditation that i teach he would usually ask people if they had questions about the meditation working he would usually ask them are you getting the support of nature so he was never really interested in their experiences in the meditation he would say outside of the meditation are you getting the support of nature meaning do you feel like life is flowing more effortlessly are people coming into your life that are helping you and pushing you in the right direction are these synchronicities showing up that was how he gauged from his perspective as a monk who came from the himalayas how he would gauge whether the meditation was actually working to helping you tune into what will be the best thing for your own personal evolution and also you're playing a role in the evolution of the whole of humanity. So he wanted everyone to tune into that and for us all to evolve um, in the way that is in line with nature, really, with what nature wants. Yeah. So like living as if life is happening for you, not to you. And Exactly. That's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. What does wild expansion mean to you, Jimmy? Wild expansion? Um... Well, wild makes me think of nature and so letting things happen naturally. I'm, I'm looking out of the window now at my garden and seeing it's all overgrown, which I like. <laughs> and um, expansion, of course, to me would mean expanding consciousness. So allowing consciousness to move in all directions without think, picking and choosing too much. Oh, I want to be more this and I need to be more that. Just letting things, tuning into yourself, calming yourself down and then letting things flow naturally in a very organic way how about that that's very good <laughs> <laughs> and if you could have one message on a billboard for the whole world to say to see what would it say it probably won't happen that's what you'd say <laughs> <laughs> well yeah because most people are stuck in their worrying minds so <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, um, something along those lines. Something to let people know that the thing that they're worrying about probably won't happen. Because it's so true. I mean, when you look back over all the things that you thought 
it's the end of the world. I'll never get over this. This time it really is the end. All of those times came and went. And look, here you still are. Everything carried on, even with the really, really horrible things, you know. I can look back on times in my life when I literally thought, I cannot get through this, you know. when, For example, when my grandmother was uh, very sick and had dementia and it lasted for quite a few years and just got worse and worse. And there were times when I thought, this is like, this is what I imagine hell to be like. like. It couldn't get any worse than this. But day by day, we all got through it and we made the best of it. And even within those horrors, we found moments of laugh and things to laugh at and moments of joy. And even now I can reminisce about those times and find good things, lessons to be learned from it and beautiful moments. And so when you look back, it all makes sense. But when you're in it, it definitely doesn't always make sense. So nice. <laughs> if anyone wants to work with you, what? Where is the best place to send them? Okay, so if, you, if you're on Instagram, you can find me uh, as that meditation guy. So it would be at that underscore meditation underscore. But my website is delvedeep.com, just without any hyphens or anything, just delvedeep.com, and you'll find my meditation course info all there. So yeah, if anybody's interested, go and have a look at that and feel free to message me if you have any questions. Do you have any like upcoming programs coming up or? I tend to teach at the moment, I'm teaching one course a month. So I put the dates on the website and then people can sign up and then I do it over Zoom. So it's usually a very international crowd, people from all over the world. Um, and we all go through the process together over four 90 minute sessions over four days. So you can, if you can, it's nice to think of it almost as like a little meditation retreat where you can cut out coffee and alcohol for those four days and um, meditate, but also you can fit it into your life. You don't have to take days off work or anything like that. Um, so that's how it tends to work, yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jimmy. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean so much to us and help get the word out there if you could tag us both on social media with a screenshot of this podcast episode and just share what your key takeaways were from it. That would be amazing and I am sending you so much love as